Hello awesome people, I hope you all have an awesome day. As you've probably seen from the title, I have a guest with me today and we'll be talking mainly about mental health in both adults and teens, especially about dealing with challenges like hospitalization through creative ways which we would discuss. Hi, so today I'm here with Paul and we're going to talk a little bit about mental health and also about his YouTube channel, which I think is really cool. So do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Paul, um, but sort of my followers will know me more as Quizzy, the Quizmaster, as uh, someone that makes educational videos for children. And um, so when we talked um, online and you told me about yourself, you had like past experience about being hospitalized and spending time in the hospital. And so how has that affected your mental health and affected you as a person and your family? Yeah, um, hugely really. So I became ill back in 2011. So quite a long time ago now. Um, and it took over a year of being in and out of hospitals, sometimes months at a time to find a diagnosis and in the end they diagnosed me with multiple sclerosis so that um, was quite a sort of a shock to the system at the time um, it was um, lots of other options it could have been which could have been worse um, so in some respects there was um, slight happiness in being given that diagnosis because um, some of the other diagnosis were things like brain tumors and cancer um, so in some respects, the uh, MS came as a, a pleasure as well as a, a bit of a shock. Um, I had spent months in and out of hospitals, so I had lost lots and lots of weight. I'd gone through lots of you know, emotional issues during that time and mental health problems. Um, it's very hard being in that hospital, being very, very poorly and, and sort of not knowing why and not knowing if you'd ever come out of the hospital even. Um, so it was a really sort of shocking start to the, the whole process and then as the years went on I started on different medications you start to come to terms with the condition start to learn to work with it uh, and, and things got a bit better um, and we're now quite a few years on and um, I have to live with it every day but it's something I learn now to manage uh, and the family are used to um, but there's certainly been some sacrifices over the years um, with some of the issues you get with it um, mainly the fatigue is one of the biggest problems because um, it means you miss out on certain things with your family, certain day trips you don't go on. Um, I have relapses every few years, so it can put me back in bed or even back in hospital for a few months at a time. And you never know when they're coming. Mm -hmm. So as a family, we try and learn to live you know, really well in between those relapses and not try and focus on when the next one's coming. Um, and we manage it when they do. Yeah, that's a really good way to live. And the um the point you just talked about not really thinking about when the next relapse would come because really um you can't really stop it from coming if it really does come and just trying to work and worrying about it won't help either so I'm really glad you and your family has found a way to really deal with it and to try and really um con not really control it but live with it so that's right yeah yeah, so I've seen your channel and I've watched a few videos and I wanted to know how you came up with that idea. Like, how did that idea pop up? 
So I worked um, in the NHS in England with sort of paediatrics for 25 years. So I've always been working around children. So I've kind of got that backing. And then during COVID, we obviously had lots of COVID lockdowns in the UK, as many countries did. Um, and because of my MS, I was also part of their shielding group, which meant that I actually had to stay at home for a whole year during the really bad times. And because of that, it meant the kids were off as well because they couldn't go to school either in case they brought COVID back to me at home. So during that time, that, that was uh, quite a tough period to be trapped in a house with the worry of COVID, seeing all the deaths happening really early on. So anxiety was really high. We have the kids in the house. Trying to entertain them was really difficult because we weren't allowed outside. We um, actually had building work being done in our garden at the time. So we couldn't even go into the garden. And two kids in the house, um, things get obviously a bit stressful. TV in England, we don't have that many sort of children's dedicated sort of TV channels that run all the time every day. So we turn to YouTube where you've got you know, millions of different videos and stuff for kids to watch. So the kids sort of went to YouTube to, to watch their sort of TV programs. And that's where debates started happening between myself and my five-year-old at the time to what show she could and she couldn't watch. Um, so she obviously wanted to watch lots of different things that I didn't deem sort of educational or appropriate potentially. Um, and it just started a bit of sort of arguing and debating of what she could and couldn't watch. And at one point, she said to me, you know, who am I to choose what is educational and what isn't educational, given that I've never even made any sort of videos for YouTube. And as a five-year-old, to say something like that kind of really um, rang true in my head. And I thought, you know, yes, that's dead right. Who am I to judge people that are making all these YouTube videos and judge whether they're appropriate or not, uh, when I've never sort of thrown anything into the ring myself? So with that, I just... I don't really know how I just came up with this character quizzy. I um, was doing sort of quizzes for adults a little bit. And I thought, well, there's no quizzes for kids because kids don't really enjoy quizzes. They're quite tedious sometimes. And you're sitting around waiting for questions and kids need something fun. So I thought, how can I incorporate quizzing in some sort of fun way for, for kids to get involved? So I came up with the idea of quizzy, the quiz master, who quizzes children but in a very fun way all through pretend play um, interactiveness between me and the child sort of through the screen um, getting them involved getting them joining in getting them talking to the telly as if they're talking to me and me talking back um, and it went so well and I've sort of had so many views that when the lockdowns ended I sort of felt I needed to try and continue the uh, the episodes um, which is tricky now because I still have my, my normal day job to work with and my kids. Um, so it's, it's hard finding the time, but I've tried to keep going. Uh, and that's where we are today. We're about a year on now from when I posted my first video. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Your videos are really cool. And I even I can I can learn a lot from it. And I think like the graphics and everything's really cool. And for me, like it's similar thing like for Hong Kong we haven't been in the lockdown but we've had like a period of time where we were quarantined and even though that was tough it did get me into podcasting and I could say like without COVID I wouldn't be here talking to you today so that's a good thing about COVID it made me try things that I wouldn't normally do so what else 
yeah, what else have you also tried? And like through your whole um, process of being like hospitalized and your diagnosis, what else has have you tried to um, learn or what have you tried in your through this whole process to get you through the get get you through well, it? I think you go through lots of different phases. So I think at the very, very beginning, um, you're very scared. Um, and that kind of takes over. Um, and then I think after the diagnosis, I think you become, though I certainly did become sort of angry with the world, thinking, well, why me? Why, why have I got this condition? Um, it's so unfair. Um, and obviously lots of people probably go through similar things and, and worse things. Um, and at the beginning, it certainly takes over your life. That's all you ever think about. You go between being sad, being angry, obviously still being quite ill. The early years, I was still quite ill, even when sort of back out of hospital. And you go through these, these sort of strange phases. Um, and you obviously, you, you take it out on family, sometimes friends, sometimes you withdraw and you, and you don't go out as much. You stay at home. Sometimes you use it as an excuse because you just don't want to go out or you're scared of what might happen if you do um, or you've got ill if you're out somewhere. So you start going through these different phases and then I think as the years go on, you start to realise that um, all you're doing is making things worse by focusing on this one thing that's in front of you. So yes, you have a condition, but lots of other things could happen at any point. So spending my whole life worrying about this one thing um, isn't, isn't the right way sort of forward. And it's when you, I think, become, when you come to terms with it yourself, um, you start to realise that there's a lot of life left to live in many other ways. So you just need to not focus on the, the limitations of it. It's just focus on um, all the other things that's, that's good about life. Um, and that's when you start to change and you realise it's not going to hold you back. You can sort of fight this condition um, and still make the best of, of what you have. And that took, it took a few years for that to sort of happen. Um, then I went through a stage of, overdoing it so whenever you were around people doing things you would try to prove to them that you weren't ill that you were still strong that you were still fit so people might be moving house and you would say oh yeah I'll come and help you and you spend a whole weekend lifting heavy things trying to prove to people that you're fine maybe trying to prove to yourself that you're still fine and then of course you end up spending weeks being ill afterwards because of the effects of, of what you put yourself through so that phase lasted for a few years for me as well, I think, just trying to push myself, do too much, prove to everyone that I was fine. And because you end up being ill afterwards, you then eventually realise that you're better to not do that. Um, people don't care anyway. People probably didn't even notice what you were trying to do. So the last sort of few years, I've sort of got to the point where I've just learned not to overdo it. As soon as you realise that um, you're doing a bit too much, you learn to back off. You learn to sort of balance um, your life so you can do some things that are sort of energetic, but you just don't do too much at once. Um, and you just learn to find a nice balance between family life, work, exercise. Um, and I've done pretty well for the last sort of three or four years now. Uh, I've been relapse free and I think sort of sort of taking a bit of control of my life and balancing everything has probably had a big part in that. Yeah, and um, what you said about overdoing it, like, 
I'm I'm glad you learned how to like manage and to balance your life with the more um like keep doing energetic things but not too much and I think the main thing is really and like if you're doing a sport like enjoying it and enjoying the physical activity and not just doing it because you want other people to notice that you're okay because I've also tried like proving to my friends and my family that oh I'm fine I'm and I I was trying to tell like my parents that I could be like any other child and I was like a really good child and I had good grades and I was like proving to them that I can do every kind of sport there is so so I really relate to like the point of proving it it to others and proving that you're still okay when in reality sometimes you're just not and for me I think it's totally okay to not be okay and that's really the whole point in life when you're like friends and your family they're there when you're when you're feeling really good and also when you're not yes absolutely and I think it's it's quite easy to try and shut people out sometimes mm-hmm. um and I used to think that I'm only ill if people think I'm ill so I had that sort of mindset in my head that if people can't see that I'm weak and see that I'm ill then then nobody really knows and and maybe I'm not but that's the, kind of the wrong way to think about it what you need is people to be aware that you are ill so they can help and and be aware of things um so again that was a sort of a, a, a change to realize um that it's okay like you say it's okay to not be okay um it's okay to, to suffer with um, mental health issues it's okay to not be as strong as you used to be or strong as other people um and the people around you you know they don't care about a lot of those things that, that in your mind you're worried about you know your kids don't care whether you're strong or you're not strong I could be in a wheelchair as I was for um many times um and the kids don't care they still can climb up on the wheelchair and have a ride have a cuddle um you're still their dad so it doesn't matter to them um a lot of the issues I think are always your issues rather than other people's uh, I think if you if you focus too much on that um you then create more issues um rather than just letting people in and letting people realize that that this is this is who you are this is what you suffer with and and it's okay yeah and it's really just knowing that your family would be there for you whenever you are and like you said most of it it's just in your head like um most people really don't really not like don't care but like it won't impact their lives as much and you're not really defined by that illness or by that disease so it's like with me and my mental health and my friends I um we have like really serious conversations sometimes and I tell them about myself and we share experiences and then we go back to being normal friends and that's out of the way it's it's like what you said with like the disease not controlling your life and it's kind of like moving the um diagnosis from in front of you to like a problem on the side so it's something you live with and not something you're trying to face every day absolutely yeah it's not about hiding it but it's Mm -hmm. also not about making it the sort of the forefront of everything that you do it's about the balance between between both those things um and the thing with um with the ms is unless i'm sort of really early in a hospital bed i i look quite normal so i appear quite normal a lot of it's all hidden 
um, so people don't get to see what my body is actually suffering with and what I'm going through. And I think uh, that's another phase that you sort of have to go through that you end up keeping reminding people that you're actually ill um, mm. because you don't look it. Um, but then you realize that you don't need to do that either. Um, people not, you know, not everyone needs to know that you're ill. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, that was something else that took a while for me to sort of get, get used to and get into the habit of not having to tell everybody that I met um, that I was ill. Yeah, and I like I've I've also thought about the point of how many in many like situations a lot of people their um problems and their illnesses they are they can't be seen they're like almost invisible if you just look at them from the outside so I could I, sometimes I think about it when I'm like going down for a walk and I just look at people in front of me and I realize a lot of them might have like their own problems that I can't really see and it's the same um, for like what I talk about on the podcast like mental health because most of the time mental health unless you see me like in a mental hospital with like a hospital gown on you don't really know that I'm sick sometimes you don't really know that I have problems and I'm also facing a lot of like really tough challenges compared to sometimes for people with like really obvious physical injuries like breaking your leg and it's quite obvious that you have it but for mental health you can't really see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think sometimes for me, the happier I appear on the outside probably means sometimes the worse I am on the inside because you're over sort of overcompensating, trying to hide whether it's the mental health you're suffering with or whether it's actual physical pains in the body. Um, so, yeah, so when I go into work and I'm really bubbly and bouncy, sometimes that's actually because I'm at sort of my illest point. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I've seen that like a lot with people being really happy, but actually they're not. It's I think it's like a natural reaction for someone to act like they're happy because for teens, when we get embarrassed, we usually laugh it off. But honestly, it's hurting pretty bad. So I think yeah. it's the same for a lot of scenarios where, like, um, I was talking to another guest a week ago and they were also talking about how when they were um depressed they seem happier to their friends and they usually look happier to their friends and they talk a lot and they're really like energetic and everything and cheerful but really they're struggling and so it's really like um combined effort from like their whole support group and their family and their friends who really notice the signs because sometimes even though um we try to like ask for help, it's always very hard for someone with mental health issues or physical health issues to really ask for help because like sometimes they feel embarrassed, sometimes they just really don't feel like it. And that's the thing for mental health. Like you need help, but you don't really want to ask for help. And it's really this tough position you're in where you don't know really what to do. It is, it is. And also the difficulty is is obviously people who have suffered with mental health have a, have a good sort of understanding of it but if if people haven't suffered or they've suffered but not realized they've suffered um then sometimes they can't appreciate what it is you're trying to sort of go through or explain to them as well yeah and sometimes like for people that have been like they didn't get they didn't have like access to like um medical facilities and like psychiatrists and like doctors they 
haven't been able to get checked out for um, their illness. And there is really a lack of education surrounding like mental health issues. So a lot of them don't even know what they're facing. And especially for some like less fortunate um, teens and some adults, they don't even have the chance to learn about that illness. Like they don't know that anxiety and depression exist. So they don't know how to deal with this problem. And so I realized the better someone is at helping a person with mental health issues, there's a higher chance that they've also experienced it. That's why they're so good at um, being empathetic and really relating to the person with um, the men- uh, struggling with their mental health. Mm-hmm, definitely. This is also where um, my YouTube videos have come in quite useful in the sense that my finished product is you know 10 minutes 20 minutes of, of film that someone's watching but I can take hours to film that I can take days to film that so I can have good times I can have bad times whether that's with mental health whether that's with physical issues with the MS um, all that's hidden so I can like I said I can be in front of my camera filming as much as I want and once it's all cut and all edited um, the end result is still um, you know appearing to be perfectly normal like any other sort of YouTube channel um, it just means I can go at my own pace without sort of being watched all the time whilst I'm doing it yeah and really appreciate like the time you spend on those videos because for me I I've like done like little projects for school where I have to like take some photos and like take a few videos and edit them together and add like a voiceover but then I've looked at yeah videos and you need like a background and costumes and you have like a script and everything just looks like it takes so long to prepare and sometimes it's it's really weird how like 10 hours of work can result in the like five minutes of the actual clip and people can like skip by it without knowing how long it took for someone to actually create that so I'm always amazed by like video creators like you for like creating videos that and I just watch it and I'm like wow that must have taken like really long to really create that so I just think like when I first um watch your videos I just thought it was really cool and I just really like what you're doing and really um all the videos thank you thank you and and then when I first started I, I have no experience at all so I'm just filming with you know a cheap sort of camcorder with a green screen on the wall. I've never done any sort of computer editing before. So I've, I've kind of had to learn as I go. Um, and um, you know, my, my setup still hasn't changed massively at all since the very beginning. Uh, I think I'm probably getting better at the editing side of things as I'm learning. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it takes me weeks probably to edit every video. Most of my videos are probably 20 to 30 minutes long. Um, and yeah, I'll probably spend two weeks, you know, around my job and my kids editing each each video um, to get it to that point. Um, like you say, it's a lot of hidden work that you don't see. And in the background, you're still then trying to work on ideas and scripts ready for the next video. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a massive job, really. Yeah, I'm wondering how did you learn to like, because you said you had no experience with like creating videos. Like, how did you learn to edit those videos? Because I've done 
a little editing like for school, but it's so hard to edit videos and good quality ones. So how did you manage to like learn how to really edit videos? Um, just literally, I just downloaded a program off the internet, one that was sort of free for the first video. Um, all I focused on really was something quite sort of basic that, that could work with green screen really. Um, and once the first one sort of came out as a kind of success, I then paid for you know slightly better programs, still very cheap and, and fairly basic in the world of video editing, but one that just had a, you know, could do a little bit more in terms of bringing in sort of some animations and things like that. And then I just spent hours and hours, you know, watching YouTube videos um, and just playing around myself. Mm -hmm. um, and as as the sort of years gone on, you'll probably see more and more different things have sort of started appearing in the videos, more graphics and more animations as I've as I've sort of got used to it. And I think because it takes me weeks to film uh, to edit a video, a professional would probably do it all in an hour. And and I think that's the thing is that the end result looks fairly fairly good, but it's it's a it's the sort of the amount of work that it's taken to build all the layers to that video that takes the time uh, and hopefully in time I'll be able to get even quicker at it um, and maybe get some software that's even better to use but it's just been just pure graft really just hours and hours of just practicing and playing around um, to get it as good as I can get it. Yeah because with YouTube sometimes like the viewer trends like your viewer accounts they rise and then they decrease and like um a lot of people they have like they give up when they see that their channel's not doing so well and like you will improve with time and your editing skills will get better and i think it's the uh, same for really everything when you really try it and um you try and master it and you'll get better and even though it's very hard and especially with editing i don't know how people really edit for how spend how they spend their whole lives editing videos but i could never do that and it's really hard to edit so it really does take time to really like find different programs and to yeah. really learn how to edit those videos what's hard as well is that because you're on youtube youtube has got you know millions of videos but also videos that have been professionally made by actual production companies you know so you know almost anything is on there now and that's the trouble is that your viewers are flicking between professional videos made with a team of you know 100 people in a proper film studio with a million pound budget and then the next video they click on is yours so it's really hard to to um sort of come to terms with that as well that um you know you can do as good as you can do with you know, some cheap software and a cheap camera um but you're still being literally compared to you know professional stuff that's out there so i think it's 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 quite a hard thing to sort of get going and get established on youtube because you're just instantly thrown thrown into the sort of that kind of world with everybody else just like being put on tv with all the productions on tv and the huge teams that they've got um i'm a guy on my own so i have to do all the scripts the filming the editing the acting the promotions it's kind of everything um and if you could look at you know someone else's channel you might find they have 50 people sort of working on it and producing these things um so i think a lot of people give up in the early days because 
it, it's such a sort of competition and competitive market out there. Um, but I think that if you look at some of the people that have sort of made it as good video creators, the thing they've done is just worked really hard, kept slogging at it, um, and hopefully get there in the end. Yeah, and really agree with what you're saying. And um, we have ten minutes left. And one thing, and um, one last thing, I want to ask you about is how did you um explain to your children, or explain to other people about your illness? Like, how did you explain? Um, I don't want to focus on children because, like, sometimes they don't understand everything. And how did you explain to them what you're facing? So my kids are now um, seven and two. Um, so the majority of my illness happened before I had kids, before they were born, because um, it was sort of 11, 12 years ago now. So their first experiences really were when they would see me, you know, in a hospital or in a wheelchair. Generally, sort of the wheelchair was the biggest clue or if I was sort of in bed at home a lot. We've always explained it to my eldest, really, as just daddy's got bad legs. So because the legs are sort of the first thing that tends to go with me, it means that I get very weak. I can't sort of walk or, or stand up. Um, lots of other sort of ailments that happen are, are sort of hidden. Um, so you don't need to go into too many details with the kids. But we've just always called it daddy's bad legs. Uh, and they've just understood that. I've just got bad legs, they're a bit weak. It means that I might have to use a wheelchair to go out or that I can't sort of stand up or pick them up as much if I'm having sort of a, a bad leg day. Um, and that's that's kind of as far as you've ever gone. Um, the two-year-old obviously is, is too sort of little anyway, and she hasn't luckily experienced any of my relapses at all yet. Um, and the seven-year-old now is just quite used to knowing that I have bad legs at some times and, and that she just needs to understand that sometimes I can't do some of the things or go on some of the outings. Um, and her first thing often is, um, well, just grab the wheelchair, Daddy. We can still do it. Um, but I've never gone into details about MS with her and, and what's happened in the past. She's seen lots of sort of photos of me when I have been poorly. So she's been aware of it. She's seen me in hospital. Um, but to go into too much detail about the condition, I think we'll probably just be lost on her at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think as she as she grows older, we you know we can just slowly start explaining slightly more about it. Um, but the end result is she still sees her dad, you know, living a fairly normal life. She understands when when things are a bit bad and I'm a bit weak. Um, and yeah, we'll go into more details. I think as she, as she gets a bit older. Yeah. And it's nice that you're like explaining it to her and in a really nice and gentle way, because I don't like some people, they don't want to explain these kind of things to kids, but then they do have to know and eventually they'll know. And I like that you're not explaining like the huge scientific part of it because like they won't understand it. Like there's seven, like you can't explain everything about like the bones and the human body. And so exactly. just saying um, you have bad legs, it's a good way to like just explain that like sometimes you're just not able to do some things that other people might be able to do, but you're, yeah. you're still like their dad and you still can do a lot of things like your YouTube yeah. channel, which is just really cool. Yeah. Other dads sometimes won't be able to do that. Yeah, ex exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, 
um, thank you so much for joining me. And I really liked our talks. And I really hope you do like continue with your channel because you. I see that I see your comments and I see that a lot of people really like your videos and enjoy watching them. Thank you very much for having me on. So as usual, before we end this, I would like to remind you, please reach out for help if you need it. Please talk to a trusted adult if you're feeling down or unwell. You can also call crisis hotlines and if you're in an emergency, please call your local emergency services. Of course, you can talk to me for a chat or for some teenage advice, but I am not a professional so I would suggest talking to an adult or a professional in this area first. Before we finish this episode, I would like to say thank you for listening and if you're listening on Spotify, you can add your suggestions, feedback in my Instagram bio. And I've started to share some mental tips and share updates on my website and my newsletter in which you can subscribe to. I've also started preparing for an episode where I will read out your confessions and any questions you have on mental health. So if you would like to submit one, please go to my website, which you can see on my podcast bio in all my platforms. And lastly, if you are interested about my guest episodes, please go to my website to find more information on that. So I hope that helps. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to my other episodes and hope you have an awesome day. Bye.